You are listening to Daily Devotions with Pastor Robert Marsbach. We believe that these devotions will encourage and strengthen you. So tune in, connect, and be blessed. For any more information, please visit us online at lifechurchuk.org. Welcome to Life Devotions. Thank you for joining me today. The true reflection of a man and woman is the title of this devotion. What is it that makes you a man? What is it that makes you a woman? I understand without question. I'm not talking about uh, cultural issues at the moment where we are debating these things. No, I'm talking about from God's perspective. What is the true reflection of a man? What is the true reflection of a woman? You see, the Bible says, let us make men in our image. He created them both male and female, and he blessed them. And we see here, for example, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, and you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's go on. Yeah, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, for anybody to have been able to say this as Paul who was in so many ways in such a male world in the religion in which he came from where the division between the male and the female was so strong in their roles of reflecting divinity and Paul talks about this almost more than any of the other apostles. Peter speaks about it, and we'll talk about uh, Peter a little bit maybe, but, but Paul talks about this almost more. Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives, wives submit to your husband, and you know, and he talks about this a lot, Paul, actually, even though we do not see his marriage. We can't say that Paul was never married, but we don't see the marriage. And I mean, through the scriptures, we know he wasn't married because he talked about the other apostles bringing their wives and he didn't have that. And Paul lived in, in a way that was so mindset that all was in man. And yet he came into Christ and he began to realize that we're all one in Christ, that we're all sons of God. You see that the the word son of God is not just male. It talks about being heirs, being coming forth from the father, having one father. In Christ, I know that Virginia is equally a son of God as I am, equally a child of God, that God is her father. So I would never look at her in a different way. And I tell you, if that is not the point from which you begin, then you will always struggle 
with the roles that God enables us with to serve each other, to stand alongside each other, to uphold each other, because the oneness will always be undermined by the differences, not just differences physically, but differences in, in abilities and so forth. But our differences should never divide us, but should always be our strength as long as we're one. What makes you one is that you're in Christ. Christ is in Virginia, Christ is in me, and thereby we are one in Him. And we have one Father, and we walk in this oneness. There's no power struggle. There's no contention. He says here in Romans chapter 15, he says in Romans 15 here, he says, uh, now may the God of patience, verse 5, and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God of Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. This is where you have to start when it comes to finding your equilibrium in how you are to be together. If you don't start here, then you will always make a mess of it. You have to start from the foundation. I am made one with my Father through His Son in me. I am made one with Jesus through His, with Virginia through His Son in me. The oneness that we share is that we were baptized by one spirit into one body. We have the oneness, and while this is true for us in marriage, so it becomes true in the body of Christ. But today, specifically, I want to focus on the area of the relationship between the husband and wife. You see, this is where it needs to start. Here in Ephesians chapter four, and I shared that also with you earlier this week. It says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I beseech, I plead with you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Listen now, as a man, Robert, my first obligation as, as the husband is to walk worthy of my savior Jesus in how I am towards Virginia. Her first obligation as a woman, but as a wife in her relationship with Jesus is to walk worthy towards him in her relationship with me, with all lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring, insisting to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Fight for peace, fight for oneness. There's one body, one spirit, just as we're called in one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, in you all. God is the head, and he's above us all, and in us all. Now, I know this, that I know this, that I know this, and I live in this and insist to live in it. So, I'm not gonna make it long today. 
but I want to take you to one of the most interesting chapters when it comes to this subject. And if we could just let the Holy Spirit open our understanding and realize the privilege we have that I have as a husband, that Virginia has as a wife towards me, when you begin to realize what God is wanting to work in you and in you and through you, and you're willing to do your part in the relationship, like I read to you from Ephesians 4, look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Okay, listen to this. Imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Now, for me, that is the rule by which I choose to live in my home. Well, that's where I go. That's where everything inside of me goes. No matter what I go through in my relationship with Virginia, that's where I go. Imitate Christ. How? You know, they used to wear these bands and some people still do. What would Jesus do? Well, and I know some people make fun of that, but truly, what does Jesus do? How did he carry the nature of the Father to us? How he, in his humility and meekness and gentleness and lowliness and humility, brought the life that he had with the Father in heaven to us and embodied it and showed it to us? And Paul says the same. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know, listen closely, verse 3, okay? I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Okay, this, friends, I don't find any issue with it. I don't see it as hierarchical. No. God reveals all of himself in his son, Jesus. Right? And Jesus embodies everything from the Father. So the husband is to impart into his wife all that he is in Christ. And she is to embody in herself all that she has in Christ with her husband. What argument can you have against that? What beauty, what wonder. It's the oneness. We share oneness, Virginia and I, and in this oneness, there's no conflict between male and female. There's no power struggle. There's no big I and little you. There's no I'm over you, you're under me. We are one in Christ. We share his heavenly life in our communion together, and we submit to one another, receive one another, honor one another as he has received us. My goodness, how can you have an argument with that? Right? Come on now, catch this today and let the Holy Spirit impart it to you. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. He's using traditions that were common in his day that are not in the same here today. For example, he talks in Ephesians 6 about putting on the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. <clears throat> 
Is he trying to tell you and me that we should walk through the church with a big shield and a sword and a helmet on and a breastplate? No, no, come on now. None of you would think that. You would say, no, he's using what was common with all the Roman soldiers controlling society who were dressed like this and acted like this and using that as an example to show us what we have in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, where his righteousness is like that breastplate. His faith is like the shield. His word is like the sword. His power of salvation is like the helmet and so forth. Come on, folks. How, how And this is the exact same thing. He's saying when a man goes into the church, nobody would think his head should be covered because that would be impolite. Folks, my father-in-law, Virginia's dad, would never go out of the door without his head on. Never would he go out of, out of uh, out the house without his head on. He wore a cowboy hat even to his last breath. But he would never be seen in time of prayer with his head on. No. When I grew up, my father, Johann Masbach, would never leave the house without his head on. He would always wear his hat. But he would never wear his head if he went to church. He would take his head off as he greeted people. That was a sign of respect, a sign of appreciation of others. Those things are not that far-fetched. So he's using tradition to show something here that I think is vital for us to hear. He says, no man would be spiritually exercising himself with, that, with his head covered, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, or that that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it's shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he's the, he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For a man is not from woman, but a woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on their head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of the woman, nor the woman independent of man in the Lord. For as a woman came from man, even so men also come through women, but all things are from God. So what is he doing here? It is actually so simple, and I'm sad that it gets so muddled sometimes. Don't ever spiritually separate when you begin to operate in the anointing. For me, dear friends, this has been a phenomenal school. A phenomenal school. Because in the beginning, I did not totally understand this. Obviously. Because it was like I would leave Virginia and she would have to wait for me to come back. I would leave and I'd come back. And then the Lord says, no, I don't want her to be uncovered when you operate in the spirit realm. No, I want her to stay covered. I want you to stay one with her when you are in the spirit. So for example, on the Sunday morning, if you came to Life Church, during the time of worship, Virginia and I will go up together and we just together share and pray with the congregation. And you can see in that time how sweetly one we are in the Lord. It isn't me being the, the big 
pastor, a preacher with a little bitty wife who's in the kitchen helping. I don't ever think that I think being in the kitchen is less than preaching. But my point is, folks, the whole point of this is that we cannot be spiritual independent of Christ like he cannot be Christ independent of the Father. So, my friends, hear it. You should stay one with your wife, especially when you want to see more of the Holy Spirit. But that is where the challenge is. You see, that is why you have to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's why as a woman you have to insist to bring honor and praise instead of feeling irritated or frustrated. No, you have to bring honor and praise. You have to have that spirit that the husband feels, my goodness, honey, I love walking alongside you. You, you. you make me feel so loved and encouraged. Your spirit just makes me feel honored. Beauty, because you carry that. And that she says, honey, when I'm one with you in the spirit, I feel God's glory and presence. I don't ever want us to be separate. What God has made one. This is what the Holy Spirit so desperately needs. And this is where all there, also there is such protection. Virginia would say to me, when I would go away ministering in different nations and she stay home to take care of the kids, she would say, "Hun, don't forget, stay in your stature, stay in your stature. And what she meant was, don't be too familiar, don't be too worldly, don't be too earthly, stay in the spirit. And I remember ministering in, in another nation one time and, and something came and it hit me. Oh, it hit me so hard. And I, I felt like I was sinking in the mire of my human weak nature. And I was praying, praying and panic and praying and panic because I had to go minister in an hour. And, and just the feeling of self-consciousness frightens me silly because I don't want to know anything but Christ. <coughs> and I was praying, pray I couldn't stop it. I couldn't stop it. After half an hour praying, I called Virginia. She was 6,000 miles away. I called Virginia. And I said, hi, darling, how are you? She said, oh, babe, I don't know what happened half an hour ago. All hell broke loose. I said, oh, babe, I just felt so hit half an hour. She said, how dare you, Satan, come against him. Leave him alone. And pop, the power of God came all over me. Come on, women. Bring glory and honor. What is the real reflection of a man and a woman? Is that in oneness we embody Jesus Christ and put that ugly devil to flight. Amen. Have a good day.